Welcome to your province, your premier. Heard on QR Calgary and at Edmonton on 6.30 Chat. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. If you have a question, a concern, something on your mind for the premier, you can phone or text. A big reminder, please keep those questions or texts as short as possible. I know that when you type them out on your computer, it looks like only two or three lines, but in the text box, it, it fills up a whole paragraph. Okay, so keep them short. All right, Premier Smith is ready and waiting to hear from you today. Premier Smith, welcome to your province, your Premier. Hi, Wayne. What have you got for me this week? Well, you know, there's there's three big stories in, in my mind, and I'm sure our listeners are going to have their own questions and concerns. But first, you're meeting with Deputy Prin uh, Prime Minister and Federal Finance Minister Christy Freeland yesterday regarding the Alberta Pension Plan proposal. Second, the UCP annual convention is underway. And before that, we had the fall session of the legislature. So let's start with yesterday's one-hour virtual meeting with the provincial and territorial finance ministers, along with the federal finance minister, to address this Alberta pension plan proposal. Now, we discussed this on the show last week. The rest of the country is certainly sitting up and taking notice. People are talking. Now, in the news clips I heard from Deputy Prime Minister Freeland, she acknowledged Alberta's right to leave the CPP, but she also urged for a calm, reasoned discussion moving forward, one that was based on facts. And to that end, she's called on the office of the chief actuary to look at what Alberta's share might be. And there's going to be another similar meeting this time in person coming up mid-December. What was your response to the tone of this meeting? Well, we're very pleased that we've, we've achieved this out of this meeting because that's what we were asking for is that we heard from Albertans that they don't want to move forward with a referendum until they know what the actual number is. Uh, the federal government has disputed what the LifeWork report said, but they didn't give us an, a number that, as a counter. So now they are, which is great, and it seems like the uh, the other provinces were being very constructive in asking us to at least know what the what the numbers are so that we can have the full debate. So we were pleased with that outcome, and we'll see how long it takes. I hope it's not too long because I, I think Albertans want to want to really be able to resolve this one way or the other. Now, you got to believe, though, that the numbers from the chief actuary are going to be probably lower than the 53% that LifeWorks report has claimed. So, so what's next after, you know, while you're waiting for this, what's the next step? Well, we'll see how they, how they uh, do their calculation. Uh, they have claimed that we did a, a miscalculation or interpreted the formula wrong, and so we'll see how they approach it. The, the formula is defined in the legislation, and if we're really far apart, then it may be that we need to, to bring in uh, the courts to be able to adjudicate between the two. But I'll let them do the work. And then when they release that report, we'll be, we'll be able to have a, a more fulsome discussion about it. But I'm glad they've agreed to do the work. What was your takeaway from the meeting overall? Uh, you know, comments from the other premiers, territorial ministers? Look, I mean, my, my finance minister made it very clear that we don't want to do anything that is going to put at risk the uh, viability of the Canada Pension Plan. We, we just want to be able to see what the numbers are, see what what, uh, what it means for Al Albertans and see what it would mean going forward. Uh, Albertans, I don't think, want to be in a position where they are constantly overpaying and constantly getting lower benefits. And that's the situation we find ourselves in now. So let's see what we can figure out on the asset transfer, if it's uh, sufficient for Albertans to have a comfort level that not only are we going to be taken care of, but it's not going to put the, the rest of the plan at risk, then, uh, then we'll see if they are interested in going to a referendum. The, the problem with the plan, as it was mentioned last week, is normally when you're a small province, there's benefits of being part of a larger plan because you're supposed to be able to pay less and get more security. We've got it flipped. 
we're actually paying more than we would if we were on our own. And, and that's the, the kind of thing that I think people need to know. And then they need to be comfortable. If they want to continue with that, then that's what they'll tell us. If they want to be able to move forward to a referendum, then we'll do that too. Okay. The annual UCP convention is underway at uh, BMO Centre. Lots of talk from the uh, Take Back Alberta members that they plan to get more of their members onto the board. Activist David Parker has written that, quote, after this AGM, the grassroots of the UCP will be in charge, unquote. Now, they, the, the Take Back Alberta folks already have nine seats on the UCP board. So how much power does this contingent of the, of the grassroots really have? And is the Alberta Pension Plan proposal the result of you bowing to that kind of grassroots pressure under the threat of a, a sort of a recall election, if you have it, from within your party? I mean, isn't that what contributed to the ouster of Jason Kenney? need to understand what a, a board does a, an executive committee manages fundraising they develop agms and they also oversee the candidate selection process my, my interpretation of this is that uh, people want a fair open process because there were a number of candidates that got disqualified um, there was a, a number of candidates who had their um, reputations damaged by the way in which they were disqualified i think a lot of people were hurt by that so I'm interpreting their desire to be on the board is that they want to make sure that we have a good candidate selection process, a good robust process for people to get policy ideas in and to, to make sure that we're, we're having an AGM that is inclusive and as broad as possible. I mean, they've already succeeded. This is the biggest convention in conservative political history, maybe in, 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 any, in the history of any political party. We've got 3,765 delegates here. And so I'm excited. The more voices that are added to this process, the better the debate and the better the decisions. So next year, uh, I think, could even could be even bigger because it's going to be in Red Deer. A number of resolutions are going to be debated uh, throughout the weekend. Some are very controversial. How many resolutions, Premier Smith, typically become party policy or at least shape the way that the, the party thinks? There's, there's a number of policies that I've seen passed in previous years that affirm some of the direction we're going in. The one that I'm thinking of is that when um, the, the, the previous premier asserted, uh, signed an MOU wanting to explore small modular nuclear, in the next AGM, that was affirmed by the members that they, uh, that they endorsed that action. And so I haven't done a full accounting of the, the policies, how many have passed, how many are partially implemented, and how many have not been able to be implemented. But that's kind of the way we approach it, is that the members tell us what they think the government should do, and then we as a caucus and a cabinet take that back, do our stakeholder consultation, look at it through the lens of what works for all Albertans, and then we will, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a report back um, accountability session next year to explain to the members what we were able to move on, and if there are some things we weren't able to, we'll explain that too. All right, one final question for me before we uh, hit the phones. Um, yesterday, uh, Rob Breckenridge uh, mused, opined, uh, made a comment, a question, uh, suggested, uh, if we could use that term, that, you know, the federal government now has this inequitable approach to the carbon capture attacks, you know, where we're giving Atlantic Canada a bit of a break on home heating fuel, but not natural gas. And... You know, Alberta is not too, too impressed with that. I believe there was a, a, some kind of uh, a motion to ad address that issue, whether at the court level or whatnot. Rob was suggesting, hey, look, why don't we do the same thing in Alberta? Take a two-pronged approach, and if the federal government doesn't like it, then they can take us to court, And but because they've already set the precedent, you know, who knows, uh, let, let's let the chips fall where they may. What do you, what do you think about that? 
Well, I, I, I guess the, the, we can't do the same thing that Saskatchewan has done because Saskatchewan has a crown monopoly in providing power. And so that's why Scott Moe has been able to say that he's not going to collect a carbon tax. And the federal government has responded saying that's illegal. Someone's going to jail and someone's going to be paying a fine. So if we did the same thing here, I'd be asking all of our private sector companies to be prepared to go to jail or face fines. And I, I just don't think that's fair. So we're hoping for a political solution. We think the political solution and the right solution is for the federal government to be fair. You saw that uh, Pierre Polyev is putting for a motion for tax fairness so that all types of heating oil, uh, fuel, uh, for home heating would be treated the same and would be exempted from the tax. I was very interested to see that the federal NDP are going to support them in that motion. And so maybe it'll be resolved at the level, at the political level. That's where it should be, because otherwise we're, we're in for a, a real fight and a, a lot of division. And, and I think that at the moment, it's uh, we should all be focused on affordability for people. That's what Scott Moe's trying to, to press. That's certainly an issue in Atlantic Canada. This, this uh, retail carbon tax no longer makes sense. Uh, it may have at one point when the economy was on the upswing, when we didn't have an inflation crisis. But when you have even the Bank of Canada governor saying, if you eliminate the tax, you reduce inflation by 16%. Think of how impactful that would be. Not only for the day-to-day -day groceries and expenses people have, but if inflation moderates, then we can start seeing interest rates come down so that it will make housing more affordable. It, it seems to be the linchpin of solving a lot of the problems that we're facing right now. So I hope it passes. All right. Before we go to the phones, we are going to take a break. Um, and we've, we've got a, a full slate of callers uh, waiting. We have dozens of text messages, and we'll get to those when we come back. I'm Wayne Nelson, and I will be back with Premier Danielle Smith. More of your calls and texts when we return on Your Province, Your Premier. If you're just joining us today, you are listening to Your Province, Your Premier, heard every Saturday morning for listeners throughout Alberta in Edmonton on 630 Chad here in Calgary on QR Calgary. Apologize for the low levels from the Premier on the uh, first part of this show. We're going to uh, try to work that out, some technical difficulties, but we have the Premier with us and we're going to go to Neil, who's been waiting a long time on the phone. Neil calling in from Edmonton. Go ahead, Neil. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Yes, good morning. Uh I'm 83 years old. I've been an Albertan all my life, and I've been a UCP man ever since Peter Lougheed. And I'm 83 years old, and my knee is gone. I have to get a knee replacement. Uh, my quality of life has gone down the tube, and I have to wait uh, 28 months to get a new knee. That, I'm 83. That means I'll be 85 by the time, over 85 by the time I get a new knee. I wish the Premier would stop this nonsense of pensions we have a pension what we need is good 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 health care for the seniors we don't have any it's a joke and i just wish you would concentrate on what is important to albertans which is good health care we don't have it please just deal with that thank you thank you neil uh, premier smith well, you know what? Government has to be able to deal with a lot of issues simultaneously, and we can do that. We can uh, look, meet our commitment to those who asked us to look into a pension, and we can, we've uh, already begun a transformation of our primary care system. We are also uh, beginning a major transformation of how health is delivered, and you'll hear about that next week a little bit more, and we need to solve the problems that Neil has addressed. One of the ways that we've solved it is, or begun to solve it, is that we are now using charter surgical centers as a way to increase capacity. So we've been able to do 20,000 more surgeries this year. 60,000 total are being done at charter surgical centers, but we, we know we can do a whole lot more than that. So uh, just hang in there, Neil. We've got a number of changes coming. We 
recognize it's a problem, and we've got to make some some serious changes in order to be able to solve it. But that's coming next week. All right. Uh, next caller, Rose from Rocky Mountain House on oil and gas fracking. Go ahead, Rose. You're on with Premier Smith. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. I'm just wondering if you were aware that oil and gas companies take our fresh water for fracking at no cost and what is returned back to the surface is toxic and cannot go back to the ecosystem. Most of Albertans are not aware of this, and with droughts and global warming, I think this is a big concern for everyone. Well, Rose, thank you so much for that. A lot of our energy companies use recycled water, so yes, they do take an initial allocation, and then they use uh, they end up using it over and over again so that they can minimize the the impact on on withdrawing fresh water. Industrial uses uh, are one of the draws that we have, but we we know that we've got to do more to manage the uh, the plentiful water resources that we have. We've got to build more reservoirs. And we're in a, a position now where we're looking at doing that so that we can help with flood mitigation as well as on the bow. Uh, a few a few new uh, a few a few more months and we'll be able to get a, a couple of proposals together. But but that's why I've got a, a new minister in uh, aggregation in agriculture and irrigation so we can talk about ways in which we can build more reservoirs so that when the water does run off we can catch more of it so that we can address the water the water issues. I think it's a water management issue mostly. Okay, Curtis has a question about climate change. Go ahead, Curtis. You're on with Premier Smith. Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Sure can. Okay, great. Um, Two-part question, if, if I may. First one is uh, yes and no. Danielle, have you ever listened to David Suzuki's Survival Guide? And my second question is, in 10 years' time from now, when the human race, if the human race survives, and I have my doubts, when all anybody is talking about is climate change, do you think you'll be proud of putting the profits of large corporations ahead of the future survival of the next generation and the biodiversity of our province and planet? You're throwing gasoline on a burning world by denying climate change. Really, how do you sleep at night, Danielle? Well, I don't deny the climate's changing and we're doing a lot to reduce emissions. I think that uh, that we need to understand Canada would be uninhabitable without everything that we've been able to do to unlock plentiful energy that has come from oil and natural gas. Uh, minus 30, plus 30 weather to make sure that we are able to, to keep the lights on, keep the furnace on, keep the air conditioning on. All of that has has been resulted from the, the fact that we have got a plentiful supply of natural gas. We've got the ability to travel and populate every corner of Alberta because of our transportation fuels. And people want to maintain that quality of life. The, the solution is to reduce emissions. We're not transitioning away from the use of oil and natural gas. We're trans transitioning away from emissions and with carbon capture utilization storage, small modular nuclear, geothermal, hydrogen. Those are the things I get excited about. And so we can have it both. I'm not at, at all defeatist about it. And I sleep very well at night knowing that our, our industry is, is working on some of these solutions. All right. Robert is uh, phoning in on the chat line. Robert's calling in from Viking, uh, texting, I should say. He says, what plans are in place to control electricity and natural gas costs? Both are provincial jurisdiction. He said utilities used to have a cap on profits of 9%. Kenny deregulated. Utility companies are charging what the market will pay for. Many homes will go lightless or cold energy companies are heartless the ucp has backed large businesses ucp does not look after everyone your response premier smith 
Oh, there, I've been very frustrated for years about what I've observed in the electricity system. The regulated rate option uh, puts our most vulnerable at risk from variable rates. Our transmission and distribution has been overbuilt, and it's ended up increasing the cost on our power bills. Uh, and it's a cost you can't really control. You could turn your lights off, and you still have to pay those charges. With the uh, very with the uh, um, the under uh, investment in baseload power, we're now seeing a huge amount of variability, which is impacting all of us. We are addressing all of those things. We know we need to bring more baseload on. We need to find a responsible way of integrating intermittent power, like solar and wind, into the system. And my uh, ener- my affordability and utilities minister is coming up with some great solutions on that. When the pause is lifted off the uh, the solar and and wind uh, project review. We will have answers to all of these questions, but uh, there's, I, I, I completely agree. The market's not working as it was intended, so we've got to address a number of those things. Okay. Gene uh, is calling in from Rimby on uh, diesel vehicles. Is it Gene or Zhang? Uh, go ahead. You're on with the Premier. Hi, Danielle. Uh, no, I'm Jean, and I'm a widow, and I loved my diesel, and that is the safest vehicle to drive and they've got this political war against diesels which is ridiculous it's less explosive than gasoline it doesn't explode like gasoline at all it, it is non-pollutant if I'm traveling a five-hour drive in the wintertime and get sleepy I can pull over and all I need is 10-15 minutes of shutting my eyes and I'm okay I don't have I can safely keep that diesel running without worrying about any fumes like you would with a gasoline it, and it, I don't belch black stuff or anything. Now, and it, it, this attack is terrible. I'm paying 30 cents a liter more than gasoline when it's, when it's, it's less processing to it, and it should be 10 cents less cheaper. And, and it's just horrible. It's pinning me right down to I can't even hardly travel. And, and you say, oh, that's, I mean, the environmentalists, not you would say oh, that's great but it is not it's it's unfair and it's a and it's a political ploy and it damages the look at the truckers and when as soon as the uh, as soon as that uh, federal tax went in i said which to the truckers our our inflation has started there it starts the inflation right there so i just wonder what Gene, you could do to do to stop that well, it needs to change the government at the federal level because the, the retail carbon tax doesn't make sense. The, the things that we're doing to get big emission reductions from an industry and the things we're transformational technologies to give drivers more options with whether it's EV vehicles, whether it's zero emission vehicles for hydrogen or whether it's dual fuel vehicles or biodiesel, that time that takes the industry offering those solutions until those solutions are available people are just ending up paying this extra tax and don't and just and, and don't get any benefit from it they it just ends up and it's becoming as you can hear from gene a greater and greater pinch. so we've been uh, in uh, in lockstep with our federal counterparts saying Okay, uh, Premier Smith, Focus you're, you're on some of the transformational solutions. Yeah, you're breaking up just a little bit, so we're going to uh, go to a quick break. Uh, see if we can resolve those technical issues. We'll be right back with uh, Premier Danielle Smith on your province, your Premier. 
Wayne Nelson back with you on Your Province, Your Premier, your opportunity to speak with Premier Danielle Smith one-on-one. If you've got that specific question you'd like answered, the numbers to phone or text are 403-974-8255 in Calgary, 780-496-0063 in Edmonton. Okay, we're going to go right to the phones. Uh, Ron has texted in, but he's also on the phone with a question about uh, COVID and flu shots. So uh, go ahead, Ron. You're on with Premier Danielle Smith. Morning, Wayne. Morning, Premier Smith. Uh, I, my question is about vaccinations and stuff. But province is doing really good on getting them out to the pharmacies and everything else like that. They upped the amounts. I went to my doctor last week. I got a flu shot, and I said, okay, hit me with a COVID one, too. He says, we don't get them. So my question is, is why... Uh, why don't doctors get COVID? I do know they're a different type of vaccine and at the different uh, earlier in the pandemic, some of them needed to be kept at an ultra cold temperature, but I don't believe that's the uh, what you have to do with it now. And they all have fridges for flu vaccines. So how many thousands of people are we missing getting the COVID shot? And also too, it's, if they were allowed to do it, then I wouldn't have to waste the pharmacist's time and my time by booking another appointment. And that was just one quick question. And then the other relative to the pharmacies, it's great that they can do all these additional services and stuff. A few weeks back, I took my son to Shoppers to get a, a strep test, strep throat test. They charged me 30 bucks. I'll wait for your answers. All right. Thanks, All right. Ron. Thank you. Well, on the first one, if I recall what Pfizer had said, I think they said that these shots are $150 a piece on boosters. And so we want to be very mindful that we don't want any any uh, of the shots wasted. So that's part of the reason why we've developed a strategy to make sure that we're sending them out to a central location where we know there'll be enough volume so that we don't end up having to, to destroy a bunch of vials. That That's that's basically what it comes down to. If we sent out vials to every single doctor's office, I think we'd be wasting a lot of money, and we want to make sure that we're we're we're, we're stewarding people's money well. I don't know about the strep throat test. I've never heard of uh, of that being charged, so that's something I'll have to look into with um, uh, with my with my health minister. That strikes me as as something that is normally covered, and so I'm I'm not sure why they would charge you a fee. But uh, it could be the the time of the of the pharmacist. That, uh, that goes into that, that charge and the actual test itself is covered. But I'm, I'm afraid I, uh, you got me stumped. I'll have to look into an answer for that. All right. Still on the subject of vaccines, uh, text message in on the 630 Ched line. Why are seniors paying out of pocket hundreds of dollars for the shingles and RSV vaccines? Those two vaccines are in excess of $700. Yep, the RSV is uh, $300, just uh, so that you you know, if we if we made uh, we, we we prioritize the uh, the vaccines that to protect the maximum number of people. Clearly, COVID is still the the most risky uh, vaccine, especially for seniors to get. If you if you look at the stats of hospitalization and ICU, and sadly the number of deaths, I look at those numbers every week. So we want to make sure that we're prioritizing COVID. Influenza is also very dangerous, not only for the the very old, but also for the very young. And RSV, to this point, we've had no hospitalizations or ICU. And so we we want if people want to have that extra level of protection, we want to make it available. And so that's why we're we're allowing them to to pay for. Um, as for for shingles, uh, again, I'll I'll have to double check with my 
uh, with my health minister on that. I don't know if there are if that's sort of standard across the country, but it is one of those types of, uh, of vaccines that um, a small number of people receive it. And so I think on small batches, it ends up being costly. We also don't want to be spending a bunch of money for vaccine that ends up getting wasted or ha- and has to be throw- thrown away because we know t- these dollars are precious and we want to just make sure that we're putting them to, to the best use as possible. So that's the rationale. All right. Uh, Christiana has texted in uh, on the chat line. She says, please build the hospital in the south of Edmonton. Well, um, one of the things I know we need to do is we need to build a new stallery because I, I've i seen uh, the incredible care that young kids get in the Children's Hospital in Calgary. And the stallery is in the, uh, I believe it's the, the downtown, university, uh, downtown hospital. And we, we know that that's got to be our number one priority once that occurs we want to see what kind of impact that has on the uh, the need for spaces we also know that we need to build one in red deer red deer uh, regional is already well advanced in the planning on that and uh, the south hospital uh, we've started the early phases of looking into that but we want to make sure it's the right size so there's a couple of things that need to to occur um and I, I, that would be the order i would say is that we do salary so- red deer hospital and then uh, edmonton south is third on, on the list but we still need to do a bit more work scoping out what the size and function will be for that hospital all right uh david is phoning in from onaway with regards to the carbon tax go ahead david you're on with premier smith Daniel, the, I have a couple of questions or comments, but the most important one is when the um, Supreme Court approved the carbon tax nationwide, they become, overnight they became climate scientists, which they don't have any qualifications for, but they justified it on the basis that it would be applied all across the country. It was never applied evenly, we know. But now that our friend Mr. Trudeau has taken it off of heating oil for one area. It's not applied across the whole country anymore. So to me, their decision no longer has a a sound basis in law. Is is it going to be challenged to get it reversed so that every, every province treats it the way they feel the same as selected ones are being able to do now? I agree, and we have asked the, the legal team that helped us win the C69 challenge, we've asked them to look at whether or not we would be able to rechallenge that on that basis. I mean, if you're going to make an argument, the reason it's federal jurisdiction is so it applies to every Canadian equally, no matter the region, no matter the fuel, then that's one argument. But if you're going to pick winners and losers and pick favorites based on who votes for you, then you've blown up the, the, the entire basis of your argument. So, yes, we've, uh, we've consulted our lawyers, and we'll see what, what feedback we get from that. Premier Smith, we have a whole slew of text messages on both the uh, Chad and QR Calgary line, so I'm going to try to get to as many as we can. So if I could get your responses to be short and sweet, and I'll so we can get through as many as we can. So you the got first, it. Let's first, go. first one. Good morning, Premier. Thanks for your tireless work to save and protect our province. Question is: Is your office looking at setting aside funds to help the Hangar Flight Museum to build a new sixty million dollar facility? I think it's very important uh, going forward in the community. Um, we, I have been approached by the Aviation Museum, and uh, I'm assuming this is Edmonton that he's referring to. Uh, we, I have been approached because I, I gather that that has been put up for sale, and they've asked us to consider whether we'd be able to help a, a private industry or a private nonprofit group uh, keep that 
in uh, in that use. So that's just beginning that that discussion. It's in uh, in the hands of my minister, and and so we'll we'll continue watching. We have a whole process we have to go through when we're looking at these kinds of proposals through culture and through tourism and sports. So I think that's one of many that they're contemplating. But but thanks for raising it. All right, next text. Uh, it's been over twelve months. You've been promising the twenty twenty two energy rebate to condo owners. A Medicine Hat MLA said 80% of his calls are from condo owners regarding those forgotten rebates. When will you get this settled? Uh, we haven't figured out how to do it. The problem is there's no central depository of information about who is submetered and who is getting paid, charged through their condo fees. And so that's been the problem that we've had is that they haven't figured out how to get that information because there isn't a disclosure. They were able to do it in Medicine Hat because Medicine Hat... Not only do they have a gas company, but they also have an electricity company, and they're also able to cross-reference it with the other metering that they do. So Medicine Hat's been in a, a unique situation, and we've been trying to replicate that elsewhere. And unfortunately, the administration hasn't figured out how to do it. So still working on it, but it's, that's, the, that's the nature of the problem. Some people have already received it because they get charged directly, and then some people are getting charged through their condo fees, and we haven't figured out yet uh, from at the, at the province-wide level how to get that information. All right, this text in from Vulcan. Should the decision be made to go to a referendum about leaving the CPP and having an Alberta pension plan, would it be on the ballot at the next provincial election, uh, 2027, or sooner? Sooner. Okay, yep, that's, that's the short and sweet. All right, uh, Cowtown Bob, good morning, Premier. Could you ask Steve Gilbert to provide a detailed explanation on how Alberta can have an emissions-free, stable, brownout-free electric grid by 2035? He said it can happen, but hasn't really provided a detailed explanation on how it will work. This text is inspired by how you asked uh, Christia Freeland to provide a number on the pension plan. <laughs> well, I can tell you that the extreme environmental view is that we should phase out fossil fuels completely, retrain everybody to install solar panels and wind turbines and adopt solar and wind and batteries. I, I, I just read an article this morning proposing that, and it's absurd um, because n there's no industrial economy that operates off intermittent power like solar and wind, and batteries simply are not advanced enough to be able to do that. So that, that's why I've called this kind of fantasy thinking that, that, we, that we can transition this quickly with technology that doesn't exist yet. We've, we've got to have a longer time horizon. Let's work on carbon capture utilization storage to get it better and better. Let's, let's figure out a regulatory process to bring on small modular nuclear. Let's build out the, the, uh, the infrastructure for hydrogen and, and then we might be able to, to get there by 2050. That's what we're working towards. I don't think they have an answer. They're just um, they're, they're, they're proposing things that simply won't work and that's why I've had to call them out on it because the number one thing we have to do is make sure people have reliable and affordable power. All right, Lucy has asked, have you asked the actuaries at LifeWorks for possible tweaks to the CPP that would help the uh, dollar balance, uh, such as contributions by age band? You, you know what? I think that's the work that we now have to do with the federal government. So LifeWorks started the conversation. The federal actuary is now going to come back and tell us what uh, they think the interpretation of the act is. And then uh, we'll, we'll begin uh, a further discussion to try to nail that number down because I think that's what we've heard from Albertans. They want to know if we do proceed with a vote, what would we be? What precisely will we be, we be voting on? And I'm pleased that uh, Christopher Freeland is going to be working on giving us that number. But that's a that's one thing we'll have to, to to consider as as we get as we continue to get that number more refined. All right, Kim has been on the phone uh, in Calgary for several minutes of uh, 15 plus. Uh, Kim, you're on with uh, Premier Danielle Smith. Go ahead. Hey, thanks. 
Um, what options are available to resident Albertans in order to trigger a provincial election substantially earlier than the traditional length of time between provincial elections? Uh, I don't know that there is. I, I suppose there's um, something called private bills. Um, there's, that's one option, but those are normally for very sort of small changes. I remember one time it was used when the Wild Rose Agricultural Society wanted to change their name. A private bill came forward that was able to, to do that. The other option, I suppose, is a referendum. And so we have created citizen-initiated referenda legislation. So if you can convince 40% uh, percent of fellow Albertans that uh, you want to have a different fixed election date, if you get 40% saying they want to petition to, to call a referendum, then we would do that. Uh, the other option is if you don't like your particular representative, whether it's a trustee or a council member or an MLA, the same rules apply. You can have a recall. You can do a, get 40% of your fellow citizens to, agree, to sign a petition calling for an election. Those are the mechanisms that are available. Roddy P. has uh, texted in on the chat line. Thank you for the affordability subsidy. Every dime went to groceries. My tiny home power bill is almost $300 a month and rising. We live in the county. Where does the four times increase come from? Well, the, I have to tell you, I, I've been watching this uh, since the early phase out of coal began, and it's created the instability in the system. When we had coal, we were able to have long-term price guarantees of three to four cents a kilowatt hour. By taking that off, everything else is more expensive. So natural gas is more expensive. The intermittency that you get from solar and wind, when, it's, when it works, it brings prices down. When it doesn't, it ends up having to, to bring on uh, more expensive natural gas to be able to fill the gap. And so we need to, to make sure that we're bringing on more base load. I was just speaking with a generator in the last week, and they said with the three more projects that are coming on stream, I think it's 2,700 megawatts in total of, um, of natural gas that is coming on by mid-next year, that should see our prices come down 40 to 50%. But we, we need to make sure that we continue growing our natural gas base load as our province has an increase in demand. So I, I know it's been frustrating. I've been frustrated too. It's why, it's why we put the pause on wind and solar so we could figure out a new market design where all of these things are going to be addressed for the long term. And we'll have that answer bef before the end of February. Okay. Don is phoning in from Edmonton with an ethanol fuel question. So go ahead, Don. You're on with Premier Smith. Hi, Danielle, Premier Smith, Wayne. Um, I had two comments, uh, quick comments, and then I'll ask my question about ethanol. Solar panels, they shouldn't be put near agricultural land because if there's a hailstorm or windstorm, they they're full of heavy metals and will permanently contaminate the soil. Uh, the pension fund, if you put in for 40 years, people got to just do the math. If you put in for 40 years, uh, you start taking it out at 60, you have to live until 90 to break even. And if you... $2,500. Where is the rest of the money going? Question. The ethanol. Sorry. Don, Don you're, you're breaking up a little bit. I'll keep that. Okay, so ethanol. It's forced to, the oil companies are forced to put it into the fuel. But it, like over the years, I've lost like 14 fuel pumps, two engines, 
and I don't know how many chainsaws, lawnmowers, because what happens is it's called, if people want to Google it, it's called phase separation or phase fuel separation ethanol. Just type that in, you'll find all kinds of studies and done. But basically it's destroying all kinds of equipment. I've been uh, after one uh, company for quite a while now, almost a year, and they basically told me where to go and how to do it. Is there any way that either A, get the ethanol out of the fuel, I talked to Shell fuel specialists. The only fuel left is uh, Shell Premium that doesn't have ethanol and it doesn't destroy equipment. Either A, pass legislation that take the ethanol out, or B, that the oil companies or somebody has to be responsible for the damage that does that ethanol does. And I can send you tons of documentation on it. I've got tons of samples. Every time I do a fuel fill-up now, I take a sample because it doesn't happen all the time. It only happens under certain weather conditions when the tank goes down, the moisture comes in, it contaminates the fuel. You put it in your tank because I just about got killed driving into Edmonton one day. And when I gassed up at Shell, all of a sudden everything, my truck was running like nothing happened. But, um, but when you go from zero throttle to full throttle with this goo in the bottom of your tank, it causes a problem. And if I would have got, let's say I'd run into somebody head on because I wiped out on ice or got run over by the highway tractor trail unit that doesn't understand why I was accelerating, um, nothing would have happened. They would just say, oh, he wiped out or, oh, he whatever. Nobody would have known what the problem is. But this has been going on for quite a few years now. And uh, there's my question. Can we uh, either get the ethanol out of the fuel or stop or, or have it so the companies are liable when they sell contaminated fuel? Well, thank you for all of that. On the issue of solar, it, it, he's exactly right. It's part of the reason why we want to make sure that we're putting solar on marginal lands rather than on agriculture lands so that we don't end up sterilizing those uh, those prime agriculture lands. So that's one of the reasons for our pause. Um, I think he made the, the point well on ATP. The overpayments that we've had, it's today's seniors who overpaid into CPP. And so they're the ones who um, would get the, the, the uh, large benefit of us being able to move to our own program. That's why we're putting that out there as, uh, as a, a potential referendum question. And on the issue of ethanol, I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that extreme amount of damage that you caused, but, or that you say has been caused. This is a, probably a job for Dale Nally, who is my service Alberta minister. He's responsible for consumer protection. And I, I wonder if one of the solutions is making sure that there's always a, uh, a pump that does not have ethanol in it, so that people can make that uh, that additional choice. Let, let me double check with them, and I'll I'll see if there if there's something we can do. I mean, I I think that the the fuel change that we are going to see in our province, if we're going to be moving to uh, zero emissions vehicles, is probably more likely hydrogen. I don't know if biodiesel, from what um, the, uh, the is being developed at the Imperial plant, is it solves the problem that you're raising. But but uh, th- thanks for letting me know that it's this blending issue that's creating the issue, and I'll I'll t- turn that back to Nally to see if he has something he can do about it. All right, Christian is texted in on the Ched line. He said, "I'm wondering if Alberta doesn't withdraw from the CPP." How long before the CPP becomes insolvent due to the lack of contributions and the increase in withdrawals by our aging demographics? Well, the way that the CPP works is that they they make sure that you have uh, pay-as-you-go and then whatever extra ends up going to the CPP investment fund to to get invested. So as I understand it, the amount of assets that they have on hand to meet today's liability is something in the order of about 10 times the amount that they need to meet today's liability. If Alberta had its own plan, we would go up to having 28 times the asset on hand to, to pay today's liabilities. And so that, that, those are the measures that I'm looking at. The, uh, that's a, as I understand it, that's a, a pretty good solvency ratio. So whether 
we are in the CPP or whether we have our, our own pension plan, I think, I think both of them, um, both of those numbers leave, leave the actuaries pretty confident. All right. Wes is on the phone from Calgary, a supplemental overtime. Go ahead, Wes. Hey, Daniel. How are you doing? Good. What's up? Um, so I was just going to ask you, are you aware of what supplemental overtime is? No, explain it to me. Okay, so in approximately November 2019, pre-pandemic, uh, the Conservative government brought in a rule where it's every hour that you work after 8 is banked straight time. So um, anyways, when you go to get hired by an employer, say oil and gas, there's you know maybe 65,000 people that work in the industry in Alberta, they no longer get overtime pay. And one of the clauses in the bill that uh, the Conservative government put in there is it's okay to do this to people if you agree with your employer. So companies will not hire an employee unless they agree to supplemental overtime, Eliminating overtime pay for tens of thousands of oil and gas employees is resulting in lower incomes for Albertans in town and out of town. Would you consider giving Albertans a fair deal and bringing back overtime? I'll um, I'll have to leave that to Matt Jones because it, it was my understanding that that had to be a, an agreement between the employee and the employer. I, it sounds to me like what he's saying is that uh, you you end up uh, getting disadvantaged in the hiring process if you don't sign on to that. I hadn't heard that being an issue before um, because if you don't agree, obviously the, the company will have to pay overtime. So I'd, I'd have to, to get Matt Jones to do a little more investigation on that. I mean, of course, we want people to be paid fairly. And some of those lo- long shifts uh, can, can be pretty hard to work. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll take that back to him to see if there's anything that was done that needs to have a modification to it. All right. Earlier in the show, we had a whole bunch of text messages that we went through very quickly. Most of those were from Calgary. Now we have a whole bunch from uh, the Chad line. So we're going to start with this one. Can the Premier comment on the new hydrogen technology coming out of the U of A that can take used dirty water from fracking and turn it into pure hydrogen and clean drinking water? There is just so many amazing inventions that are out there. And every time I listen, I, I have this, this uh, a news feed that I get. It seems like every day there is some new application for hydrogen or pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere. I hadn't heard of that one in particular, but this is the reason why we've created a hydrogen hub in our province, in Edmonton area in particular. We funded 18 different projects because someone's going to come up with uh, something that can be produced at scale. And I'll, I'll take a closer look at that one, but it sounds really promising. All right. Another texter says, where are we at on small nuclear reactors? These are a real solution to electrical shortfalls and supply in inaccessible areas. There, I believe Darlington is rolling out in uh, 2028. That's in Ontario. And then in New Brunswick, I believe they have a smaller one rolling out in 2026. It just so happens that I'm traveling to see my my premierial counterparts for a two-day conference on Sunday and Monday. So I'll I'll raise that with uh, with Doug Ford and with uh, with Premier Higgs because uh, I, I do have a, con- a sidebar conversation with them all the time to see how the progress is going.
going because we've signed an MOU that as soon as that technology is developed, deployed, the regulatory process figured out, we want to be able to piggyback on that. So I'm, I'm quite enthusiastic. We've also paid $7 million to fund a, a joint study with Synovus to see if they have the capacity to roll out a small modular reactor at one of their sites. So we're, uh, we're pursuing it, but sometimes you just have to wait until the technology develops and is deployed. All right. One other text wondering why we've made all these changes to the elementary school curriculum for language arts and math when there is no new curriculum being implemented at the junior high and high school level. Does it make sense that you've moved everything around and created gaps in learning and then they're just going to go back to the old curriculum in junior high? Uh, We've rolled it out in stages. So we've done the uh, one to four and now or one to three and now we are doing the four to six. And then we will do the seven to nine as those as those kids move on. So we are intending to roll it out to keep up with where the kids are graduating into. And it's made a big difference. Um, language arts in particular, we are now teaching kids how to sound out words, phonics. And so we are already seeing a major recovery of some of that lost learning. And we're also teaching math the traditional way so that parents and grandparents can help their kids do math. We'd heard that the new math was creating problems in, in learning as well. So I'm, I stand by the fact that we needed to roll those decisions out at the early grades, and we're going to keep up and roll out the, uh, the, remaining, the remaining ones. We've, we've got the K-6 science curriculum out there as well that's being implemented, and we're consulting on the K-6 social studies curriculum, which we hope we can implement next year. So it's a process that we have to go through, but look, I mean, science curriculum hasn't been updated since 1996, and so there's a, a lot of work that needs to be done in rolling this out. We want to do it at a pace that is uh, supportive of the teachers who have to develop new lesson plans. All right, we're going to wrap up the show with one call from Jack. He's been holding in, uh, holding on from uh, High River for almost half the show. Go ahead, Jack. You're on with Premier Smith, and got to make it short. Yep, make it short. Uh, we attended a uh, town hall meeting during your campaign in Claire's home, and at that time the question was asked that you will, uh, about the APP, and Chelsea Pedrick said, no, the APP or the UCP will not be uh, going forward with the, uh, the new pension plan. And, the, and the, the town hall erupted in applause. So now that you're going through with it, we're very disappointed because our votes were based on a number of questions such as, such as that. Now, your numbers are based on $334 billion in receiving, and we know Alberta's not going to receive that. Uh, a lot of the experts are saying we'll receive 15 to 20% after negotiations with the federal government. What are the plans, what are your plans, if you only receive $20 billion? Uh, uh, and I have one more question for you, Danielle. Jack, we don't, we don't have, have, Jack, we don't have time. Next yep. week, but, Jack, I'll tell you this. What I said consistently every time I was asked is we would release the report, and if Albertans wanted to go to a referendum, any change would be put in the hands of Albertans. So we've released the report, and now we're consulting to see if Albertans want a referendum. They've come back to us and said we need more information. We need to know a firm number, and we need more information on portability. We're getting that information. And if we don't feel like uh, Albertans want to want to go ahead with this, the, then we, we won't have a referendum. But if we believe that Albertans do want a referendum, then they'll be the ones who, who decide. It is Albertans' pension. They deserve to make the choice. And we felt they deserve, deserve to have the information, and that's what we've given them. So that's what we're, that's what we're working on. Right. Uh, and I'm glad to see that Christopher Freeland is, is going to work with us to, to try to get us that firm number. Premier Smith, thank you for joining us today. Okay, see you again, Wayne. Thank you. You bet. Premier Smith will be back for your province, your premier, on Saturday, November 18th. I'm Wayne Nelson, and you've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.